This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, clones, are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, don't make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why, you ask? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Make sure to look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're getting. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Jim Zorn was like this amazing player. He was such an exciting player. Were you in that locker room when he went with that hip-hip hooray bullshit? Yes, I definitely was. Like, someone just tossed a grenade, and either Coach Gibbs is going to catch it or I got to catch it. Hey, you know what? He deserves to be here. Let me catch this grenade in, in hopes of saving him. But for Coach Zorn, I would probably push him towards it instead of trying to help. Hey now, what's cracking? Welcome to episode 155 of the original Side Hustle, the Jim Rohn Podcast. I am pumped that you're here and mixing this side hustle into your regular listening routine. Now this week, my guest is a former nine-year NFL running back and the 2002 Rookie of the Year, Clinton Portis. CP, of course, a national champ at the U, an absolute force throughout his entire pro career, and one hell of a conversationalist, and you're about to find that out. I do not want to waste another second laying this out because CP has got a lot to say, and all of it is tremendous. So let's get right at it. Episode 155 with Clinton Portis starts right now. Clinton, it is so good to have you on the show. It's good to get caught up with you once again. Listen, before we get into your story and your journey, I've got to get your thoughts on that wild game last night. Baltimore comes back. They beat Cleveland 47-42. i got to ask, man, what kind of thoughts did you have watching that game, and what were your biggest takeaways? You know what was crazy about that game was the fact that at 34-20, I turned the TV off and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get in the shower and get in bed. So once I got out of the shower and laid down, it was 35 to 34. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, what's going on? So now I'm following on my phone instead of, you know, turning the TV back on or going back into the living room, I begin to follow on my phone. So I'm watching it, and it gets to fourth and eight. And the, 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 the read comes across saying Lamar Jackson enters the game again on fourth and eight. So I'm like, what? Like, this is about to be something crazy. 
and all of a sudden a 42-yard touchdown pass happened. So I'm screaming like, oh, like he did it. And 41 seconds or 51 seconds later, Cleveland goes right back down and score. And I'm like, this is the craziest game, but it wasn't shocking to me at all. Like this is what football has has become because no one really runs the ball or play ball control or everybody going to the fourth quarter and go to prevent for what reason? I think prevent should not be allowed in the NFL anymore. Like play your base defense or whatever you were doing and all the pass interferences put teams right back downfield. And then I'm like, if Baltimore get anywhere close, Tucker is going to make this field goal. Like, I don't care if they would have had the ball at the 45 or the 50. I'm going to attempt this with Tucker and see if his leg can get it done. And all of a sudden it changed to 45, 42. And I'm, I'm laying in bed, can't go to sleep because I'm jumping. And like, oh, this would be so crazy if fans were allowed at the game and picturing everything that will possibly be going on. But I'm sure it was a lot of rooms or a lot of households that either broke TVs or messed up TVs, jump in, enjoy. For, for that win. Right, right. Exactly. That's a great answer. And then the people who had Cleveland plus three were breaking shit. You know that too. When that safety changed things at the very, it changed at the very end of the game. Let me ask you this. You mentioned Lamar Jackson coming out of the locker room. Like he left the game and the team said he had cramps. The internet, however, had a different idea and just went with him having diarrhea. Listen, <laughs> Lamar, like Lamar denied it after the game. And generally, CP, you know this. If you try to fight the internet, you will get your ass kicked what do you think what do you think Lamar was dealing with last night hey listen I saw Lamar say he didn't Paul Pierce himself this morning (laughs) and I was rolling just thinking about what that situation could be but when when she announced last night that he went into the locker room and it was undisclosed the first thing I thought was stomach like he got to you know he he had to run in and use the bathroom and they're expecting them back but diarrhea, you know, if you got to use the bathroom, it doesn't last that long. So I don't think he would be in the, in the bathroom for the amount of time he was in there. And then all of a sudden you run out on fourth down after you done slipped all game and slid around. You know how hard it is to go into the bathroom and clean yourself up if you done had a slipper on the sideline. It's pointless for you to even go. Like, you might as well let them tackle you and just hurry up and let you go. Like, whoa, you stink. <laughs> hurry up and let them go. <laughs> Dude, I mean, Clinton, is you, have you ever seen that before on any level? Have you ever experienced that or seen that? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen guys have to run into the bathroom, but normally it's a bathroom on the sidelines, you know, especially for, for our home games. You know, at FedEx, it was a little – it was a little bathroom on the sideline, so it wouldn't have been so obvious for you to run off the field and disappear and then come back. But you've had guys have it. You know, this has been a situation you get the opportunity to go in at halftime. So when guys go in at halftime, you know, they run to the bathroom and come back out and play. It's, it's tough to have it during the game, like in the middle of action. You sitting here, like, cramping your stomach up thinking, man, i I hope no one tackles me at this moment because that's going to end up horrible. 
Listen, like I've said before, it's the great equalizer, man. It don't give a damn. It doesn't care who you are, where you are. When it's coming, it's coming. And for, I mean, I don't want to spend a whole interview on this, but when it's coming (laughs) in a game where they have to win and he's leaving the game in the game, man, you know it's bad, whatever it is. But he plays through it and he shows up like a legend. All right, so Clinton, let me ask you, like if you and I were to go back, when you came out of the U where you won a national championship and then you're drafted in the second round by the Denver Broncos, I'm curious, what was going through your mind as teams were passing you up in the first round and you fell into the second round? You know what was going through my mind? To punish every team that passed over me. Like, the only thing I could think about my first two years in the NFL was this team passed over me. No matter who we were playing, I felt like they passed over me. And the, the one team that I didn't feel like passed over me was the Washington Redskins because they didn't have a first-round draft pick. They traded out of the first round and took Patrick Ramsey in the second round. So that was the one team that I didn't really have an issue with because they had a second-round pick. But everyone that passed over me in the first round, it was like, you know what, I need to make sure they regret taking whoever they took over me. So it was one of those, my first two years and my first three years in the league was one of those, definitely my first two years because I was still in Denver, was that – I'm going to prove to you that I was the guy that you should have taken. And then looking back at this stage, when I sit around and you read all the articles and you say, you know what, my career turned out, I feel like my career turned out damn good. So when I look at the other guys that were in my draft class, the only three guys that I would even say was compatible in that draft class was Julius Peppers, Ed Reed, and myself. That's, I don't care whoever whoever else was in that draft class. Those are the top three players from that draft. Hey, listen, do you want to improve your health, but you're not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is really tough. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is to master your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism is not some mystery, it's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimens. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide busy professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everybody in between with the support and education they need to live a much healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable names in sports, entertainment, and business. They have helped thousands of individuals transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. And recently, they launched a brand new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. This is not a food logging tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to start tracking, analyzing, and learning what your metabolism responds to best. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools that their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash Rome and take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Also, you can get up to one month for free when you sign up now. Head to metpro.co slash Rome and take advantage of this awesome opportunity. Now, you had a great career, and those first two years, when you were looking to punish folks, I mean, you had two amazing years. You rushed for 1,500-plus yards both seasons, and you're just killing it in Denver, and then all of a sudden, you're part of that famous deal for Champ Bailey. When you're playing the way you were playing, 
morning and you were in such a good spot. What was your reaction when you had been told that you had been traded? Well, you know, that came about so quick and it happened so fast. I did a I did an interview with Adam Schefter at Pro Bowl. He made it known like, oh, you're represent you're the only guy representing the Broncos organization and are you coming to camp? It it, it happened so quick because it kind of happened from Pro Bowl to um, Indy to Combine, which was like a, a two- or three-week window. And it was prior to Pro Bowl, I'm looking at, oh, you know, I'll be back in Denver. I look forward to doing this next year with Jake Plummer and the rest of the guys. And in, in that three-week period, it went from that article being released to, hey, you know, maybe it's some, some, some transaction here. I mean, some traction here to, hey, I think we got a deal. You know, when Drew called me, I'm like, I didn't really want to leave Denver. I wasn't asking to leave Denver. And I just felt like every organization in football was going to be the same, you know, because I had never played on another NFL team. And then all of a sudden when I got traded to the Redskins, it was like night and day. The, the, the Broncos organization was just a different level organization. It was ran. It was a smooth, smooth machine. You know, you look at Shanahan, you look at Kubiak, you look at the coaches that was on that staff. They were a part of that that organization. Even when you look around the league now at some of the coaches that came from under that, uh, you know, you look at San Diego head coach uh, and, and you look around at all the head coaches that came off of Coach Shanahan's staff. And it was like, a, a well-oiled machine to go into the Redskins organization and Coach Gibbs coming back and having to establish an organization. Like Coach Gibbs put that organization back in in the hunt to compete, and then all of a sudden with Coach Gibbs, you go from Coach Spurrier, who everyone said it was like, you know, uh, um, being at Disneyland, to Coach Gibbs, who established the structure so all of a sudden you go to uh, whatever the other coach we had after Coach Gibbs, and he just coached on. He just totally like he set he set the organization back to right now to where Coach Rivera has been able to to step in and get some structure back in it. So it was just a, a night and day situation in in moving organizations. Right, culture. It's always, I mean, it seems like it's such a tired thing that coaches talk about, but man, it's so important. Culture, culture, culture. They had this amazing culture when you were at Denver and you're killing it and then they send you to Washington. You mentioned Zorn. Like, Jim Zorn was like this amazing player. He was such an exciting player. Clinton, like, were you in that locker room when he went with that hip-hip-hooray bullshit? Yes, I definitely was. But you you know what was crazy? It's the fact that I think Coach Gibbs, who is probably one of the most classy individuals For that sure. you'll ever meet in life. Right. And he's the most humble, winningest person that you'll ever cross paths with that's faith-driven, that doesn't have an opinion about anyone's lifestyle, just encouraging you to do better and do right. And you could follow him because he's willing to go to war, You like, you could Coach Gibbs can talk you into, you know what, someone just tossed a grenade and either Coach Gibbs is going to catch it or I got to catch it. Hey, you know what, he deserves to be here. Let me catch this grenade wow. in, in hopes of saving him. But for Coach Zorn, it's like you would probably, I would probably push him. Like I would probably push him towards it instead of 
trying to help. And that was just the situation because of the respect. When when two people can't respect each other or see eye to eye, or I want to believe in you, you're my leadership, but you're, you know, I, I listen to you tell me one thing, and then you go right behind my back and say something else, and you make what I felt like I was supposed to be uh, the help in solving the problem. You know, I, I was supposed to be part of the solution. Now, if you look at my efforts, you look at my play, you look at everything I brought to the game, I thought I was part of the solution. And you took me from part of the solution to part of the problem in the organization and tried to turn that against me, you know. And from that point, from that standpoint, it kind of took the love of football away, along with, you know, some other things that happened after, after Sean T. Uh, demise. But it was, it was so much that happened in a quick span that the love of the game wasn't the same. It was just one of those situations where you say, you know what, it's better for me to have my peace and uh, and my space and to walk away from this game than to ever go and give half-ass or uh, uh, try to do something that I know I'm not giving my all. Mm. You know, you mentioned Clinton, Sean T, Sean Taylor, of course. You and Sean Taylor, the late great Sean Taylor, were very, very close. You were together at the U. You were teammates in Washington. He was killed tragically in his home in 2007. For those who do not know, what was he like as a player and as a man? I mean, just as a, as a, as a man, I think uh, to have a stand-up individual right or wrong, he was going to be a stand-up individual. And uh, he was bad so much early on that it just it pulled him away. And all he, all he did was dive deep into football uh, just because of everything off the field or, or anything else that was going on in life. So he dove into football, and he loved football so much, whether it was an escape, whether it was just the passion, whether it was determination to be the best. All of that went together into creating – a monster and his focus, like his time on the field wasn't long, but anyone that watched him or that was around him, you see the effect still like every, everyone who comes out, you know, I think it, for my day, it was running lot in Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders. Like those were the people, Walter Payne, Barry Sanders, like those were the staples of the NFL that people wanted to, to be. And now when you hear young guys come up, no matter what position they play, everyone say the same thing. Like Sean Taylor was my favorite player. Or, Sean Taylor is my favorite player because that's the impact he left behind. You know, I think of, of the people who left the impact on me, you're talking about Bo Jackson or Barry Sanders or Jerry Rice being from Mississippi or Walter Payton being from Mississippi to being able to actually see a Fred Taylor, Javon Kirst, and then it was so many people that influenced me. But when you, you hear guys talk now, it's like, hey, Sean Taylor, Sean Taylor, Sean Taylor. Dude, always, always Sean Taylor, always Sean Taylor. Like, I mean, if you're in the NFL, obviously you're a different breed of athlete and you're a different breed of cat altogether to play in a league that violent – but then you've got the uncommon among the uncommon, right? Like, how fierce was Sean Taylor? How intimidating was Sean Taylor even to his peers? Man, you know, 
it was just one of those things. I think Sean had hit a zone, and he just knew, like, no matter what it what it was, what the circumstances or situation was, I think myself, Sean, and Santana did something to each other. Like, all of us coming to D.C. and having to put this organization, along with other guys, we, you know, Chris Samuels, it was a bunch of other people that, that helped us along the way. But when you talk about people that were just saying, you know what, we're going to carry this organization and we're going to get it done, no ifs, ands, buts about it. You know, you think about the Chris Cooley's, the Chris Samuels, the Mike Sellers. Like, we had a bunch of guys that laid it on the line and maxed out their ability to give us an opportunity. But when you talk about guys that carried the organization – I think me looking at Sean and Santana and not wanting to let them down or Sean looking at me and Santana and not wanting to let us down or the same for Santana looking at me and Sean, we knew it was something different. And for Sean, it was just, it was him on the defensive side of the ball. So what me and Santana did together on the offensive side of the ball, it was like Sean duplicating by himself on the defensive side of the ball although he had other gangsters. You know, you look at Ryan Clark, you look at Marcus Washington and Sean Springs, like, and, and, you know, it was so many other guys that did a part, but just the weight he tried to carry, you know, it was like he was trying to do it by himself, although he had 10 other teammates. Yeah, Clinton, you and I could do hours on Sean alone. I mean, in terms of him having other gangsters, yes, I would agree. I don't know that any of those other gangsters, though, were going all out and blowing up punters at the Pro Bowl, all right? That, 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 that was some kind of moment. That was some kind of moment. And Brian Mormon, for him to pop up after that, man, that was macho. I, I give him credit for that. I don't know any punter that would survive a shot like that. You know, when you... When we talk about colleges, like everybody loves their college, but there's nothing quite like the U. Not when it comes to history, tradition, culture. I mean, the U is unbelievable. What was it like for you to not only play there, but to play there in the glory? I mean, to win a national championship. And then what's it like when you get together with the fellas who played there and you all chop it up now? I mean, often imitated, never duplicated. That's what the U is. Right. And, and you look around and you say the bonds that uh, that that were created on on Green Tree Field at the University of Miami, the competition level. You know, when I talk to Frankie G or when I'm talking to Santana, I just got off the phone with Edge prior uh, to to taking this call with you. When you talk to those guys, it's so genuine, and it was never a competition. Uh, or, or animosity. Everyone was happy for each other. Everyone was pulling for the youth, you know, and there's so many guys that came off that team that were not only favorite teammates of mine, but still to this day, I say these were some of the best players to ever play that position. When I look at a Reggie Wayne or Andre Johnson like, or Santana Moss or Roscoe Parrish, you know, who, who doesn't get the same credit, but their impact, like for me to see their skill level on a day-to-day, it was nothing like it. My, my, my teammates in the NFL weren't as talented as those guys. When I think about a backfield and you're saying Frank Gore, who's the top five, top three all-time lead rusher, myself, Willis McGahee, Nigel Davenport, Jack, uh, James Jackson, 
Jared Payton all in the same backfield. To see these guys go on and do things in the NFL, EJ going into the Hall of Fame, uh, when you look at my tight ends and have the Shockey and Winslow, uh, Bubba Franks, like, who, who changed the tight end position. You know, everybody gives Tony Gonzalez, you know, Tony Gonzalez was probably that, that receiver, that tight end that could do everything, but Jeremy Shockey is the guy that changed the tight end position, you know, um, when, when you look at the D line and Vince Wilford or the linebackers in, in Billman, DJ Williams, and uh, I think two of the, the top three safeties of all time, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, and Ronnie Lott, two of those guys came out of the U. My favorite, my favorite cornerback, and since Dion would be Philip Buchanan, and that's just how I know how talented he really was. Although in the NFL, it didn't seem as if he was the man, but that was due to injuries and, and other things. When it came to the U, you can't find a better technic- uh, technician, a guy with more speed, a guy with more skill than Philip Buchanan. Like, this was a guy who had to cover Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, and Andre Johnson, and, and he covered those guys. I don't care what they say and how good – Everyone say, oh, well, these guys are so good. I watched Philip Buchanan cover those guys on Green Tree. So for me, it's a different view because a lot of those guys that I just mentioned who are some of my favorite players also were teammates that I came through with that challenged and pushed me. So when we, when we were playing, it's like no one could say, well, Santana is the guy because Reggie Wayne was a monster. Or nobody could say Clinton is the guy because Frankie G was a monster. You know, like, it was so much talent and so much competition that we competed in everything, and I think it brought the best out of all of us. Absolutely incredible. I mean, monsters everywhere. Like, I'm objective. I can't play favorites in what I've done and what I've done for all these years. But, I mean, some of these guys are, like, some of my favorite guys ever to talk to. I'll never forget... Clinton, when I first started my TV career, I'm going to say like 1993 and 94, the first time I met Michael Irvin. Man, Michael Irvin walked into our TV set. Man, my man was larger than life. And understand, he's one of the triplets, and he's living the life, man. He is really happy to be Michael Irvin, which I loved about him. But, man, when this dude walked into a room in all his glory, it was something to behold. And you mentioned Jeremy Shockey. I remember watching him play and thinking the same thing. I'm really glad, really, really glad that you mentioned Frankie G because I need you to help me with something. Now, I've got a bunch of listeners, and they're my listeners, and I don't want to bite the hand that feeds, but a bunch of these guys are bleeping idiots. Like, I'm constantly hyping Frank Gore. I love Frank Gore. Frank Gore is one of the most amazing players, and what this guy has overcome, and that he's still doing what he's doing at his age, is nothing short of amazing to me. Clinton, help me explain this. Like, you know him. You were in the same running back room with him. You know what it takes to thrive in that league as long as he has. What do you think when you watch him still doing what he's doing at that age? Man, you know, I watched Frankie G as as a mentor to Frankie G. And with Frankie G giving me my roses while I'm still alive, I can say this because he always called and, and he talked about the relationship that we had in college that helps him throughout the NFL. And now when I see Frank mentoring all the young backs still playing at a high level, I just mentioned this in another interview I did, that remember Frankie G came in while LaShawn McCoy was the man, and Buffalo got rid of LaShawn McCoy. 
Then he came into New York while Le'Veon Bell was the man, and the Jets got rid of Le'Veon Bell. So that alone tells you what Frankie G is doing when he walks into an organization. You know, uh, for him to still be playing at this level, which if he got those carries, if Frank got 20 carries a game at this stage, he would still produce and give you over 1,000 yards per season. But being that he knows his role, he's getting 10 to 12 carries a game, he's not asked to go out and get a 100-yard game, just the you know, first and second down bag, maybe come in and block. He's doing what he's asked to do at a high level. And knowing that Frank is such a student of the game, seeing the, the um, ACLs and knowing what he's overcame, I knew this was in Frank when he first got to the University of Miami because this was the only kid I ever seen put on cleats with no socks and go out and play in a game with no gloves on, and then he didn't have on any underwear. So I'm like, Frank, how are you even playing in this situation? And he was like, CP, this is how I'm comfortable. I knew right then he was something special because I can't go out and play with no underwear, no gloves, and no socks on. Do you own or rent your home? Of course you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy, though? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. You can go out and play hungover you tell this amazing story a legendary story about not only did you have to go out one day and you were hanging a bit but you played your best game ever what happened you know what's coming to light how many people play under those circumstances right. i just saw marshawn lynch oh yeah you're not the you first know, one i've had this conversation with right but what's crazy is how much attention it got when i said it. you know as in disbelief like this hadn't been done no, you know no, and no, I, no. I listened to Lawrence Taylor stories or Michael Irvin stories or Deion Sanders stories. I used to see AI all the time and I see AI at five in the morning and all of a sudden he dropped 41 or 51. And I'm like, bro, he couldn't stand up when I saw him walking to the hotel this morning. And now all of a sudden he's dropping 50. So um, for me in that game, it was, it was really the acknowledgement, you know, it happened in Denver and that was my, my first time drinking during this season, in season, during my NFL career. And it just so happened to be Friday night, we were having rookie night. So, you know, as a, as a professional player, it's like, oh, you know what, I'm not going to drink in season, although I'm 21, which I turned 21 during the season. But it was like, I'm not going to drink during the season because I want to be ready. I don't know what to expect. I've never been an NFL. And for – to be able to go out and perform, you know, and I always say Shannon Sharp is probably, I probably owe the most in my career to Shannon Sharp and Rod Smith because I was about to make a mistake and walk in. Like, I got to be honest with Coach Shanahan and say, hey, bro, I can't play. Like, under these conditions, I just finished throwing up because I had a long night on Friday, and it's Sunday. I didn't expect it to last for two days. Wow. But Shannon Sharp taught me how to be a professional and helped me get that out my system, to run it out and sweat it out in, in contrast whirlpools 
to the point that, you know, it, it was like a, a lesson. And I was so close to making a mistake and saying I can't play. And I actually played in what I would say was my best game. A lot of people look at the Kansas City game or the yards and the touchdowns and be like, oh, you had more yards in this game. And I'm saying, listen, bro, you don't know these conditions. I couldn't – like, my vision was blurry before kickoff. Like, I was literally throwing up right before kickoff. And for me to go out and perform and have this type of day meant so much. So it it wasn't in trying to highlight the alcohol. It was just how – two, three hours changed my entire career because if I walk into Coach Shanahan's office and say, hey, man, I can't play today, now I'm labeled, I got all kind of issues. But instead, I put on my best performance because a veteran guided me in the right direction. And it was something he said, that ain't, that ain't Coach Shanahan's problem. That ain't, you got to be responsible. So we counting on you. I want to be very yeah, I, I, Clint. I want to be very clear about this. Yeah, I was not asking you to tell that story because, oh man, this guy was hungover. Like lots of guys have partied oh, yeah. really hard and then played the next day and played. This is not uncommon. I'm not saying everybody does this, but this is not uncommon. Hell, Max McGee played in the Super Bowl hungover and had a huge game. This is not uncommon. The point of that story is exactly what you just said. You were so bad off that you were going to go to Mike Shanahan and Shannon Sharp said, "Oh no, you're not." Oh, no, you're not. And you're right. Like, how different might your career have been had you not run into that vet and he didn't turn you around and say, you're not going in there? That'd be the worst thing that you could do right now. Well, I know if if I wouldn't have played in that game, then I would have ended up with 1,300 yards instead of 1,500 yards as a rookie. You see what I'm saying? Like, I would have ended up with 1,300 yards, which is not so so exciting as saying, oh, this kid had back-to-back 1,500-yard seasons his first two years in the league. Well, I would have I ruined that because I only would have had 1,300 and I never would have touched the field. So to have that, you know, and to have that and to be able to play through that, like learning the ropes of the NFL, learning the intricacies to be able to go out and perform was, was major. But it took veterans, it took veteran leadership to guide you. If you don't have the guidance, when you look at so many of these teams, if you don't have the right people guiding these players, then you have so many of the situations that's prevalent in today's game that pop up and we all wonder, like, what happened to so-and-so and what happened to this person? And it's like they didn't have any, anybody to pull them under their wing and show them the right way. And by the time we all caught wind of it, it was too late the narrative had changed and you looked at the guy having an issue instead of saying, you know what, someone else could have already saved this person or got more out of this person. And that'd be the issue when you have, when you're a high draft pick because you go into an organization that needs help, which means they didn't have a lot of veterans or a lot of leadership in the first place. That's why they drafted high and, you go into this organization and you're given the keys. Not You don't earn the keys anymore. They give you the keys to this organization or they give you the keys to this shiny Ferrari or this new Lamborghini or this Rolls Royce, and you don't even know how to drive. So although you got it, 
it doesn't look as cool. You know, Ferrari look much better when you're when you're leaning in it and you're just cruising instead of you zooming doing 150 in a 40 miles per hour speed zone. Right, like you were really fortunate that you went to an organization that had a locker room with alphas everywhere. Like you weren't the guy who had to do everything. You could learn. You had guys who could show you the ropes. You could learn to be a professional. Like you and I are talking right now, and it seems to me like you're in a really good space. You're in a good headspace. You're in a good space. I'm kind of curious, before I let you go, like it's always such a difficult transition when it ends. And to your point, some of the joy had gone out of it. And like you left just short of 10,000 yards for your career. You were only 30 when you left. When you left the game, you know, for a lot of guys, there's loss of identity. There's loss of purpose. Of course, there's loss of paycheck. Suddenly, doors that used to always swing open do not swing open anymore. What was the transition like for you when you stopped playing? You know, like, for for me, the game never was my identity. You, you know what I mean? Like, being in the NFL is not what defined Clint Portis and to know that I still had more to give. And what's crazy is I feel like I have more to give now. So when, when I'm dealing with kids or when, when I'm out on these circuits and my kids are participating and I get an opportunity to affect the other kids, like through the pandemic, I just ended up being tired of the kids running through the house and playing a video game all day. So I said, you know what? Dude. We're going to start working out. And it started out with a group of, of three kids that we're going to work out. And, you know, I'm going to try to help you stay in shape and not let you just become a video game junkie. So all of a sudden, for five days out of the week, I, I was having 19 to 25 kids when no one else is supposed to be even together. Just our, our core group of kids attempting to work out on the daily. And I saw these kids develop over a two-month period that I'm trying to break these kids because I know, you know, I've seen you give up. I've seen that these kids are, are soft and scary and, and they're cul-de-sac kids. They're not the same caliber of kid that, that I was growing up and because they're privileged and, you know, they live in great neighborhoods and all of your friends have two-parent households and everybody got money and got finer things that you hadn't worked to this point. And for me to be able to give them that that first real dose of, of medicine of what work is and for them to accept the challenge and, and push me, you know, I think they pushed me and healed me and helped me so much more than, than I helped them. So when you come to realizing your purpose and it's not just about ball and money. You know, if you've gotten money, if you've had a million dollars and you get the recipe to making a million dollars, I don't sit and worry about money. Like, I'll always be able to get money because I, I would think that my face is clean. If, if Jim Rome was to have a conversation about Clint Portis or someone approached you with some bogusness, you could always say, you know what? CP is stand-up individual. This is the CP I know, so maybe you don't know. You've heard something about CP. You don't know CP, you know, and that's all that you ask for. When people can, when, when people that you've been solid with can validate and stamp the approval and take up or clear your name, that's, that's all that you kind of, you know, that's what you have. 
and to know that I could always hold my head up because I haven't done any shady shit or I haven't crossed anybody. I haven't backdoored anybody. I've always extended whether if I got to give my last, I'll give my last. And I've always been a solid individual. I could like, bro, I could die. I could, I could die today and I don't want people to cry for me. Just know I was a solid individual that I, I did. I got the most out of this, you know? And with that, I don't think many people come to one with themselves because they're attached to a fake identity. They're attached to fake fans. I got real people around me. I got people that I've known for a long time. You know, my crew is the same. I didn't really get new friends, you know, um, in the, the new people that I adopted kind of became family, you know, and when you look at life in that aspect and you look at the people around you and you say, do these people influence me to be better? Do these people make me want to wake up and challenge myself or, you know, challenge them or do anything in life? When I look at my crew, I can smile saying, you know what, man, I'm happy. Like I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm good. So it's no reason to lose my identity or have my head down or feel some sort of way because I could always stand and say, bro, this is me. This is, this is CP. This is Clint Neural Porters, and this is always going to be me. So when people look and say, oh, man, we want you to do this, we want you to do that, that don't fit who I am. So I'm not doing it. You're hanging out with friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. It's okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the very worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think that you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. You're saying, what you're saying is, I know who I am. The people who matter to me know who I am. Those who don't, don't, and I can't control that, and I don't really care about that anyway. Like, you're in this great spot, but Clinton, the fact of the matter is, there was a point in time where the people that you entrusted with the money that you earned that was going to take care of you and those that you cared about and other generations, like, you did the right things. You put in the time, and those that you entrusted stole from you, stole millions and millions and millions from you. Now, you're not the only one, but it happened to you, and yet you were able to let that go. My question is, how do you get through a dark period like that? Because you know that everybody's dealing with something. Maybe not that. We're all dealing with things that we can't let go of that are coloring our experience, right, that are hurting us. How do you let that stuff go? How do you get beyond that? You know what? First off, the acceptance and the realization of, you stop saying people did like I, I, I allowed those people. So once you kind of take onus of what happened, no matter what happened, you got to say, you know what, 
this is where I messed up. And then the next realization is everyone is going through something, and you be thinking your stuff is bad until you hear someone else's story. So in the midst of, you know, in the beginning of going through what I'm going through, and I'm thinking, oh, well, I've lost millions, and and XYZ has happened, you know, but here I am, I still got this, this, this great condo and I still got this big house and I still got this nice car and I'm still traveling, but I'm worried about stuff that I've already lost that's behind me. And I got an opportunity to go to Haiti and do some, some hand, hands-on work um, in the field with, with Jack Brewer. And going into a house that's not the size of my garage and saying this is a a single family home and three and four individuals living here and there's no light and there's no door. They have like uh, towels up and there's no running water in the sewage outside of your house. And we're thinking, man, this is disgusting and I can't stand this smell but you look at these people and they're all smiling. They're all happy. They're all helping one another. And you're saying, you know what? I live in this big house and I don't even know my neighbor. Like, I won't go ask my neighbor for a piece of bread. Or if I got extra food, I don't take it over and share it. Or if they have extra food, they're not coming to knock on my door. But I'm looking at the situation in Haiti and kids are running down the street naked and you know, everyone is happy and everyone is is together and it changes everything because it's not about money. You know, it's about experience and life and your effect on on the people around you again. And, you know, once I got that opportunity and began to give back um, despite whatever it was, to be hands-on, to be able to still give, to be able to still live, to, you know, my life hasn't changed. I can't help as many people, and I won't even say help. I don't give as many handouts as I used to. Now I help people that I should have been helping in the first place. You know, it's totally different when you're helping people who appreciate you handing them a Gatorade compared to you're giving a handout to someone who feels they need to have a Mercedes-Benz because you got a Mercedes-Benz, but they're not going to get a job or do anything. So for me, it's just that different perspective or the realization of what's really, what's really helping, you know, what's really giving back. It's not charity work. I, I never stopped doing charity work. You know, I have this huge event called Soul Giving where I feed three to 500 uh, people in D.C. every Thanksgiving. I sit down and eat with these people. This is food that I eat. This isn't, oh, I'm giving you a turkey sandwich or a ham sandwich. This is let's come together, let's sit down and eat, let's pray together, and let's let's grow together. You know, let's get this entertainment. Let's fulfill our hearts together. You know, I want to play dominoes. I want to play spades. This is my daily interaction with you, you know, and you never know how that's going to affect those people. But I've never had anyone that felt disrespected, that felt, oh, you're shoving a camera in my face for some attention. No, I don't want cameras. You know, certain people do it for certain things. I don't need any attention. I'm, I love the way that I live, and I'm cool with the way that I live. So 
for those people, like I said, for the people that know what I do, for the people that come in contact with me that matters to me, that touches me, that affects me, then I'm solid. For the people who've never taken the chance out to have a conversation with me, who don't give a damn about me or my kids or my family well-being, that just want to gossip, they're probably miserable, man. And, you know, I hope I hope it gets better for them because I'm not miserable. Like, I'm actually... I'm actually free, like I'm free and I'm happy. My man, I'm walking off on that. That is such a great message. I am so glad that you and I came together and had that conversation. I've always said that the best interviews are conversations, and this is why I kind of do this side hustle so we can have this long-form conversation. I mean, CP like that, man, 45 minutes, bam, just like that, it's done. It is so good to get caught up, man. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you making time for this podcast. That was an absolute blast, and you sound great. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. We go back. We go way back, you know. So appreciate you, man. Can, can I tell you really quickly, isn't it? Don't you feel this way, like this perspective that we have? We do go back. And I find out, like, like I was that young guy coming up and just coming and coming. And you do, like, you know, you have that edge and you're hungry. And we still have that. Like, you and I still want to do great things and we want to do great work. But the relationships, like, I didn't understand it, CP, when I was young. When somebody would say to me, you know what matters, man? It's not the money. It's not the success necessarily. It's not the car. It's not the house. It's the relationship. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going back to the grind because I want to get that car or something. But you know what? It is the relationships, isn't it? It's definitely the relationships. You know what? The grind is what makes us all. It's, it's, as long as we keep the grind mentality, that's what gives you the household names. That's what gives you the love. It's when you, when you start feeling like you've made it and you, you look back or you look down upon someone that changes the scope. So as long as you're grinding and you're working to reach the top, that means you never get to the top and you're always reaching for something. So keep it up, man. Always been a big fan, going to continue to be a big fan. So appreciate you. CP, appreciate you. Much respect. We grind. Man, that's what we do. We grind. Clinton, you are the best, dude. I appreciate you so much. That was awesome. That was so, so good, man. Thank you so much for that. Hey, no problem, man. Peace out. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire, and it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Enormous thanks to my guy CP. He's right, we do go way back. So it was tremendous to get caught up with a fellow grinder who is still on it the same way today as he was back in the day. One more podcast coming your way before the holiday break. So you want to make sure you get subscribed right now and it will find you so you don't have to go looking for it. It is easy. It is simple. It is free. So go ahead and do that if you don't mind. Like I said, I will catch you next Wednesday with one more 2020 installment. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Tim in the box, Dan in South Bend. Want to wish you, your family, all the clones, everybody, Happy New Year. 2021 will be better. Soak bra. Listen, this is the jungle. This is not C-SPAN radio. Boring. I got something for Paul's dog. My cat will kick your dog's ass. But you know what I can't figure out, Jim, is Mammy Hurricane fan. 
Believe it or not, there's some Miami Hurricane fans up here in South Bend who think they should be in the playoffs. SEC fan wants to get you an Uber to take your drunk ass home because you're delusional. Happy New Year, everybody. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jason and Grants Pass, dude. Long time, dude. 96, man. Letting you know, man. Got me a freaking truck. I'm going to be rolling again first of the year. I'll be uh, listening on uh, XM Radio, bro. So uh, anyway, man, Warhawk, you know, he, he's doing his thing. But that Ash Schumann was pretty good the other day, too. Got to keep these guys in check, especially Rip. Get him in check, too, man. War, everything you're doing, man. Best wishes to you and the fam. And uh, now listen for always, man. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne. Man, that podcast with Ben Greenfield, man, that, that was an experience. That's what it was. And now we finally have some answers. Now we know exactly what Greg Norman's been injecting into that large ostrich of his. Message deleted. Next message. To all the Cleveland players and the whole coaching staff, y'all can all kiss my big fat ass until y'all get shit sick. I will pour bleach in my eyes before I ever watch y'all play football because I don't give a damn about Cleveland. I got my two boys, Aaron and Justin. I would rather watch them because they're worth watching. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Jim? It's Dr. Dave. You know, I'm fucking pissed right now. I'm more pissed off right now about the whole thing of the Big Ten screwing IU out of the Big Ten championship game because of Ohio State. I don't know what the NCAA is trying to pull here. I mean, Ohio State, yeah, 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 they might bring more money in than Indiana, but this is a year where there's not going to be anybody in the fucking crowd. Who gives a shit about Ohio State when they can't even play a full season? IU would kick their ass a second time. LEO, go Hoosiers. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim, Steven Centerfell. The Tito's thing, oh, my God. That is almost impossibly hard to do, to be that hideous. Uh-oh, he accomplished. Have a great weekend with your family, and, <laughs> and, and I'm out. <laughs> message saved. Next message. What's up, Rome? It's Vinny outside Knoxville, man. Like most clones, I've listened to every single episode of the pod. For those guests that are quote-unquote off the beaten path, or maybe I'm not as familiar with them, I'm not as excited to listen to those episodes. But once I listen to it, I'm fascinated and always enjoy the conversation. That's exactly what happened with the Ben Greenfield episode. Wasn't familiar with that dude? Loved it. So that's a credit to him and a credit to you. Having said that, war, Logan Rome, rolling around the OC, trying to find a spot for him to complete his first hunt. But given the expert he is with the olives and the martinis, he probably could have drank you under the table years ago. He could have already aced his rite of passage into manhood. Message saved. You have no more messages.